dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. It seems self-evident to say that all leadership begins with vision, but that begs the question, where does vision begin? For many people, finding a vision is a very difficult thing to do. In the face of so many problems and challenges, how can we come up with good solutions? The truth be told, God has a lot to do with healing our ability to dream. His grace repairs in us the fundamental structure of leadership, by allowing us to recapture our ability to cast a vision. Hi everybody and welcome back. We're talking today again with you about the power of leadership in the heart of Christ and where we can develop ourselves to be, be more effective as the moms, the grandmas, the parents, the business leaders, the owners, the managers that we are. Wherever we are, we should be bringing Christ. And we should be bringing his influence into our world by ourselves being in the world and being in the world effectively. Okay, so when we can effectively impact the world with Christ, we can say to be leading it in his name. And this is, by the way, the reason why God has given you the positions of authority and power and leadership that he's given you in our world. It's precisely so that through you, he can exert his influence. So now suddenly, if you look at the, the people around you, the situations that you find yourself in, and you realize that I've been sent there as my mission field for me to express the love that God has for this world, it, it kind of takes your breath away, doesn't it? Because instead of looking at the projects that I have, the emails that I have to respond to, all of the texts that I'm getting on a daily basis as an obstacle to my success, I look at them instead as the, as the reason for my success. I have earned my seat at the table so that I could do something positive with it for God. And not just something positive with it, but all of the positive possible for as long as I can, for as many as I can, right? Like, let's open up our hearts a little bit, guys. We, we so oftentimes allow the, the world's perspective of what we do to dominate us and to define our positions by the profit that we make or by the size of our revenue or by how many people we manage. And let's be honest with you, that's not the point. That might be how people without faith look at your success, but that must not be as uh, the way that you look at your success. God gave us things as he gives them to a steward that we might use his things and make them to prosper, bring them to prosper for the blessing of others. But in the end, it's in his service. It's his blessings. It's his power. It's his authority. And he shared it with us so that we could have the joy of knowing what he lives on the inside and the joy of bringing him more deeply into our world. And that's our mission. Our mission as lawyers, as doctors, as business owners, whatever it might be. Let's never lose that perspective. 
Okay, so, so far we've gone over in the class that being a leader requires answering four essential questions. The first is, what do I want to do? The second is, what's the best way to do it? The third is, how do I do it now that I've started? How do I bring it to completion? And the fourth is, how do I get other people to follow me? And how do I engage their talents for the real impact that I want to make, right? So those four general questions all speak about Aquinas's structure of leadership, which gives us these four essential stages of every human act. And that means that every time we act, we get to make an impact. And every time we make an impact, we lead that situation. I'm tired of hearing people say, oh no, leadership is something for the military. Leadership is something for business. Leadership is not for me. <laughs> it's like one time I had a priest actually stop me outside of a church and he said, what do you do? And I told him, oh, I do leader, Catholic leadership. And he said to me, oh, Father, gosh, you know, he started chuckling. I said, what's the matter? And he goes, you know, with all these leadership things, there's going to be nobody to follow. You know, meaning that we know, he said, I, I'm thinking of starting a following academy, you know, instead of a leadership academy. He was just joking with me. And it was kind of funny, you know, because, but, but I get his point, you know, and yet at the same, to by the same token, we also understand the strength of what we're proposing here. And that's that every Christian is called to lead every Christian because every Christian is called to take the situation of their day, of their hour, of their household, of their job, and to transform it through their love intelligently bringing it to a better place. We're supposed to leave this world better than we found it, everybody, which means we're supposed to leave this day better than we found it, our office better than we found it, the relationships better than we found them. Everyone should be coming to us and be impacted towards the positive. And if that's not leadership, well, I don't know what is. Why would we define the scope of leadership so narrowly as to miss the whole point? that Jesus has sent us into this world to play offense more than to play defense. If we play defense as Christians, it's in order to protect our offensive strength. And what is the offense of a Christian? It's to bring the light of God into this culture, into our world. And where and how are we to do that? By everything that we do, bringing the love through our love, bringing the truth of God and making it manifest. I mean, a Christian should be painting this world in the colors of heaven, right? We, we need to have that audacity, right? To look at a broken world or a world tearing itself apart and to breathe peace and hope and joy into it. It's too often we look instead and we say, oh, it's a reason for despair. This can never be fixed. This family's irreparable. This situation is just the reason I'm going to, to fall down. And you can have a million reasons to fall down, a million reasons to stop, but you have one reason to always push forward, always hope, always believe. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, when Christ rose from the tomb, he cast a whole new light on the way that we are called to live. We're no longer called to live as if we were in the tomb or destined for the tomb. We're called to live as if we were in heaven and destined for heaven. And someone who walks on the face of the earth, living as though they were in heaven, as if heaven was in their heart, we tra they transform the world upon which they walk. They transform the office that they work in. 
In other words, I'm no longer here just to detassel corn or to count peanuts. <laughs> I'm here in order to bring God's love and show God's love in this world, in and through the, the transformation of the physical world of which I'm a part in my world of work. And that type of ag aggressive stance, assertive stance, I can take into my home life as well and say all of the problems that come my way are opportunities for me to bring the culture of love more essentially right to where I live, right? But to do that, I've got to accept that every one of my actions is an opportunity for leadership. And that working on my leadership means actually working in my holiness. There's a, there's a parallelism, it's not exact. You can't say that leadership is growth and holiness is two different things. And yet the two interlace incredibly. Holiness and love in my heart will push me to act more intentionally, more personally, more from my heart. And when I act more intentionally, personally from my heart, well, I need to answer those questions responsibly, knowing what I want to do, figuring out the best way to make it happen, persevering through any difficulties that come my way and sharing my heart with others. Those four steps. That's going to be part of everything that I do. And therefore, it makes everything that I do an act of leadership. And I want to go especially with you now into how we heal the very basis of that whole process, how we can heal our ability to dream. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. You know, being a priest who works with leaders, I get a unique perspective on how we can develop our leadership because I get to hear from a lot of people at a, a much deeper level than most leadership coaches will ever get to hear. People open up to a priest and they share more of a, the personal stories of their life that can actually give me an insight that allows me to, to help them at a much deeper level. Right? So it's one thing to say, okay, here's three techniques for moving forward at this or that. It's another thing to really listen deeply to the wellsprings of a person. And a priest, of course, gets to do this at many different points. I, I get to hear you at, your, at the high points of your life, the low points of your life, points that you don't even think really integrate with leadership. And after, after having spent thousands, literally thousands of hours, listening to people and guiding them through their lives, it's occurred to me that the, the link, there's a profound link between how we view ourselves and how we project our desires onto the world. It's a, a real fundamental truth goes like this. When you love somebody, you want to give them things that are good. Well, if you love somebody and you really count them as having value in your eyes and you see yourself as not being good, you'll never in your wildest dreams imagine of giving yourself to them. You might see them as good and worthy, but if you see yourself as unworthy and you have a view of yourself as being bad, you're not going to share yourself. And this explains why we can go into social situations and just sit there and not talk and not laugh because we don't feel welcome. Why don't we feel welcome in, in every social situation? Well, a lot of times it's because we really believe that we are worthy of rejection. There's something inside of me that I'm not proud of. And therefore I hold myself back and I say, I can't actually go forward with desires 
or with my passion for how I'd like to see something happen because I might be wrong. And in any case, they might not like me. And in any case, I don't really know if I'm even right. And if you stay there and you live that way long enough, you might become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Meaning that you, because you believe yourself worthy of rejection or worthy, uh, unworthy of love, you make yourself someone who is not able to lead in a given circumstance. And, and the, the first evidence of that is someone's inability to say what they want. Now, I'm not saying to say what they want with exactitude. I mean, there's, it's no problem. But well, even little kids, when, they, when they're three or four and you ask them what they want to be, they'll come up with five or six answers. They want to be an astronaut. They want to be a dinosaur. They want to be a fireman. You know, it's like, it's almost unsettling. You're like, wow, you know? And so we as adults are like, well, what kind of doctor do you want to be? You know, the kid's six, has no idea whatsoever, you know, put him in these situations. But, but at the same time, they, they don't hesitate. Sometimes I'll go into classrooms, for example, and, and, and talk to these, you know, kids about being, you know, what it's like to be a priest or just to say hi or whatever. And I'll say, does anyone have any questions? And every single kindergartner will raise their hand. So then you call on one of them and they'll say, um, I don't know. I don't have a question. <laughs> well, like, why did you raise your hand if you don't have a question? Well, it's because they have so much desire and so much willingness to play a part that they, they, that they forget that they actually have a part to play, right? But they want it so bad. What's happened inside of us that would make us lose that? What happens between ages, you know, four and ages 12 that would diminish or hamper a person's ability to say, I want to go after this. This is something I want to achieve in my life. Right? And when you find someone who's got that kind of gumption, it's immediately easy to identify that's a leadership capacity that's enormous. My goodness, if, if we couldn't just support more people like that, we could get things done. I mean, even from a management perspective, it's really hard to steer a horse that's stopped, right? You can steer a moving horse, but man, you can't steer anything that doesn't have any motion. So if on your team, you've got all these people that are just willing to execute what you want, but they don't have any ideas themselves, it's really hard to make that team move forward any faster than what you yourself can do. You miss that kinetic synergy from a multiplicity of angles when you have all these different people that want to get the same goal and want to see it happen, but have ideas about how they can make it happen. You know, so unlocking that ability in your team and unlocking the ability in yourself to, to find and the willingness to, to find a way forward is, is key for developing the success strategies that we're going to need in order to develop new products or new innovations or solve the problems that are you know, befalling all of us as a leader. It's, it's essential to leadership. And of course, that goes right back to the family. It's the same thing. I mean, there's nothing worse than someone who's supposed to be leading the family and you have no idea where you're supposed to go. I mean, the easiest way to get nowhere is to not know where you're going in the first place, right? And so if you turn to your spouse and you say, hey, do you have any ideas of how we're going to make this year better? And they don't. Well, it's a pretty sure bet this year is not going to be any better, right? What are we supposed to do with little Johnny? How do we help little Johnny to overcome his difficulties? And the spouse looks at you and says, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, you're like, well, then we're pretty much sunk, right? And it's the same thing in a society. I mean, if we as a people are like, well, we don't really know how we're going to make this situation any better. Does anyone have any ideas? And there are none. 
Well, that means that the problem is going to be bigger than the solution and the problem will end up leading the situation instead of the people. And that, of course, is a situation we all want to avoid. But what's the solution? How do we get beyond that? Well, we get beyond that everywhere we go by this, this originality right? And it's, uh, of the human spirit to find a solution and to find a way and to believe that God wants and loves that originality so much that he'll support it with his grace. He'll unlock it with his redemptive power and he'll give it to this world. The ability to dream is one of the most wonderful gifts that God gives to us. It gives us the ability to look beyond the problem outside the box and to find a solution. And when we know that God is a God of solutions, that God is here for healing and for redemption, he, it means that he necessarily is a God who's bigger than our problems and bigger than the fallen situation in which we can find ourselves. And the leader is the one who taps into that vision of God, taps into that healing power, and is able to breathe forth in an old and stale situation the new breath of the Holy Spirit, of innovation, of, of passion, of desire, even if it doesn't yet exist. But I'd like to remind you all that by faith, we walk as if we see the invisible. And by faith, we're in tune with things that we do not yet see. A Christian leader should be someone who is used to not being defined by the situation around them, but is used instead to seeing the potential as it is even in God and bringing that potential down onto the earth. We should be an innovative people. We should be a people of the dream. Then what's the problem? Well, the problem is, even if we're people of the dream, our hearts are wounded. And that's where Christ comes to heal us, unleashing the dream, healing the dream, and bringing leadership to his world. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So it's obvious that in order for us to lead, we have to know where we're going, right? And to know where we're going requires that we want to achieve something. We have something in our heart that has summoned us and pulled us and drawn us out of ourselves towards itself, right? And so that ability, I call it the dream, that power deep within us to, to go towards something that doesn't yet exist, it itself has a root. And my work as a priest has become obvious to me. I've seen the link between the love that someone has for themselves in a healthy and good way and their ability to dream. And I really think that it's linked to, to the fact that dreaming or giving forth an idea requires that you believe it's worthy of acceptance. When someone inside themselves has been hurt, or put, put down, and oftentimes it's different forms of abuse or neglect or, or ridicule or rejection by others, well, they're not going to dare to venture to say something that is not yet. There's almost like a desire for safety and security that's rooted in a fear, a deep fear that, that makes life fatalistic for them, meaning it is what it is. It will be what people will allow it to be. I'm not going to dream. I'm not going to think out of the box. 
But I'm not going to lead. If you say, you know, what do you want to see happen in a situation? And a person has zero ideas about it. Now, on the one hand, it could just be an intellectual thing. But when there's really fundamentally no impetus, no, no direction going forward, well, they're not going to be able to lead that situation. And look, look at your marriages. A lot of times in marriages, you see this one spouse that is kind of dynamic and wants to see things happen. And the other who never has any ideas at all, just kind of goes along. Well, that's all fun and games, but then it stops being fun because life's not a game, right? <laughs> and, you, and you end up saying, my goodness, like what, where, what do you want to see? What do you want to get out of life? And when someone is incapable of saying that, don't just try to drag that horse across the finish line. Look for the root cause and the way that they see themselves. Someone who sees themselves as a blessing won't hesitate to find and give that blessing to others. That's the, a healthy self-love is at the root of our ability to dream. And yet dreams, remember, is kind of a bad word, especially if you're from conservative, you know, places in the world. Uh, there's a lot of folks that make fun of dreamers and they say, ah, dreamers, you know, that's the idea guy, right? The, the dreaded idea guy who walks around the world making life miserable for people who like to plan, right? <laughs> and, and so, you know, dreams guy's a bad connotation as someone who makes things up that are totally, you know, unrealistic. And on the one hand, there's always a rule for that because it's neat to have people around who are actually creative and can come up with new ideas. But when I speak about the power to dream, I'm not referencing that. I'm not referencing just someone who comes up with new ideas that are, aren't tied to reality. As a matter of fact, the most perfect expression and power of a dream is one that is realistic. And this is something that might be difficult for folks. It's easier for them just to come up with things on a whim or all kinds of what ifs and whittling those what ifs down to a, a, a really something that, that could be considered as even possible is a process that takes some discipline. And that goes back to that self-love again. Someone who really loves themselves will take their words seriously enough to not just throw forth crazy ideas all day or dream about the impossible all day, be the, the fatalistic poet, you know, because even if you have a lot of ideas, you could also be fatalistic about them by saying none of them can become reality. I dream so high that none of it will ever be real, realizable. Well, that's not really helpful either. So even if you have a good self-love, it'll, it'll express itself in dreams that can be one day possible. And that, that limitation of the pure creativity into helpful creativity is essential in order to move to the next step and consider the real possibilities against the circumstances as we know them. And that second stage is a stage of understand or, or, or the contemplation of a strategy where you choose on what you're going to focus right? But that second stage requires at least having something to deal with. I mean, you can't consider a vacuum, right? So where does your ideas come from? They come from this ability to dream, but a dream that is focused in and becomes realistic. I just think it's fascinating to see it, how, how both of both, both the ability to have dreams and the ability to, to realize or make realistic dreams flows from the same source, how I view myself. And the healing that comes there. Isn't it wonderful 
to see the fruit of redemption expressed in the ideas that can drive a society forward. And th what I mean by this is that when Christ redeems us, he should heal our own way of viewing ourselves. When we fell in the garden, we, we, we alienated ourselves from God, we alienated ourselves from each other, and we alienated ourselves from ourselves. This was, this was shown by the, the fact that Adam and Eve hid from God, alienated from God. They blamed each other, alienation from each other, and they even sewed fig leaves to cover themselves into clothing because they were ashamed that they were naked, right? There's a, a type of self-regard, self-loathing, which was introduced as a result of sin. So when Christ comes to repair that original shame that they have about themselves, he gives us back a vision of ourselves coming from God, not coming from our sinfulness. A, a vision of ourselves coming from his mercy. And this vision has as its fruit our ability to desire things. Our ability to say, I am made for that great thing in front of me. And the ability to choose something greater than ourselves to live for and to want to go after. I think that amb healthy ambition is a sign of a healthy person. A person who believes that what they were made for lies in front of them as something altogether achievable. If only they put their desires through the process of strategy, engage them in a way then that they can share with others. Leadership, in other words, is the fruit of the cross of Christ. Because at the cross, my vision of myself was healed. No longer must I look at myself as an object of condemnation. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then let me live. Let me strive for the great things. Let me bring a vision to this world of what is possible in the light of the redemption, in the light of Christ. And I now take that same passion and desire into my company as, and I can drive it forward in real practical ways. I can take that into my families and I can lead them in real practical ways. My, my healing of how I see myself allows me to suddenly become an instrument in the hands of God. Instead of being fatalistically confined to the limitations of my life, I become creatively expressed by the power of God who wants to use me and has put me onto this earth in order to dare great things, in order to dream great dreams, in order to want things from my heart. If my life is a, a song of love between me and my Savior, then I'm going to sing a beautiful melody and make a joyful song to the Lord. I'm going to want and desire what He wants for me. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.